Flatten the curve. That is the term of the day as the nation responds to the spread of COVID-19, a deadly virus of concern to human life, particularly among the elderly and immune-compromised populations. Welcome to Feedstuffs in Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at big issues in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to this third episode in our series focused on the effect COVID-19 is having on the livestock and feed industries. In our two previous episodes, we talked with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at INTL FC Stone, about the economic and commodity market impacts of the disease. And then in our most recent episode, we talked with National Cattlemen's Beef Association CEO Colin Woodall on issues specific to the beef business, including a discussion on continued availability of USDA meat inspectors and ensuring packers remain committed to keeping plants up and running. If you missed either of those episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen via either Apple or Google Podcasts or at our website, feedstuffs.com. In this episode, Feedstuffs publisher Sarah Muirhead talks with Leah Wilkinson, Vice President of Public Policy and Education at the American Feed Industry Association, about how the industry is prepared for COVID-19. Wilkinson and her colleagues at AFIA have been actively monitoring developments and working to get the animal food industry's voice heard at the federal and state level in the regulatory and policy discussions that are taking place across the country, often on an hourly basis, it seems, these days. Among other things, Wilkinson describes what animal food manufacturers are doing to protect the health of their employees and their customers, all while continuing to keep our livestock, poultry, and companion animals fed. COVID-19 is, after all, a human, not an animal concern. With more on that, here's Sarah Muirhead. Leah, you and the AFIA team have certainly been right there on the front line of the COVID-19 situation, looking out for the U.S. animal food industry and making sure livestock, poultry, and companion animals continue to be fed. What has the last few weeks um, been like for you? They've been... um chaotic, but exciting. I think it's been um, good to be able to be providing information for our industry, for the animal food industry in a timely manner. Um, We've had sharing of information between our members. Um, You know, it's really become something where it's, it's all in this together to make sure that we in the animal food industry can continue to provide the products that are livestock and poultry and companion animals need. Um, so it's been it's been chaotic, um, but it's been very exciting and very rewarding um, to be able to provide the industry the needs that they want um, so that we can keep operating and providing the services that we do for um, our industries. And one of the big pieces of recent news was the designation of essential industries and the animal food industry being part of that. Now, at the same time, we've seen some separate designations at various state levels. How does all that work and fit together and what should AFI members be aware of when it comes to the continued operation of their businesses? One of the great things about our country, right, is we have 50 different states um, that have the authority to be able to do what they uh, deem necessary to protect their citizens. Um, But that's one of the also, also one of the challenging things we have about being in the United States is we have 50 different states. Um, So we did, the Department of Homeland Security uh, was working on defining what was the critical infrastructure for um, this COVID-19 emergency. 
and we were working from an AFIA perspective with the Department of Homeland Security. So it was clear in their guidance that they were putting out to the states how the animal feed, the feed ingredient, and the pet food industries, everything from manufacturing, packaging, transport, retail, the equipment that goes into it, um, that we were detailed in that enough that it was clear to the states when they were going to be putting together their policies on what businesses could operate, um, how critical our industry was um, to the agriculture industry and to the food supply. Um, so when those 50 states would put those policies in place, they would have that guidance. And now we're in that phase of all of our states looking at their shelter at home, stay at home policies, what's essential business, what's not. Um, and that guidance was really a, a linchpin for that. We have states by the hour um, that are putting their different policies in place, and some are referencing that document specifically. Uh, some are using, you know, their own language. Um, and then when there, it's not specific to feed, uh, we're working to clarify that um, food means feed in those situations. And so far. Uh, we've gotten that in all of the states that have put those policies in place. It sounds like it's something that you're having to monitor on an ongoing basis. It is, and it's something, you know, until everybody, all those states put out their policies, um, you know, we'll be working on it uh, for the industry and as things continue to evolve. Are there other things that should be considered when it comes to perhaps staffing, supplier deliveries, feed delivery, um, and that kind of thing? So one of the items that we've been looking at and working with our members on is protecting the workforce. So we know that um, our employees are vital to our business. Um, and if we don't have healthy employees, it's going to be very hard to manage that mill and, and provide the products that um, our farmers and ranchers need. So early on in this emergency, that was the focus and what what do we need to do to help abide by the Centers for Disease Control recommendations on social distancing? Um, are there things that we can do spreading out employees in, in the facility? Um, can you look at uh, maybe moderating your shift changes? Um, we've got some members that are uh, making changes there so that the two shifts don't actually overlap. Um, they're ending a shift early and having the other ones come in a little bit later. Um, and leaving notes for each other instead of having those face-to-face -face conversations. Limiting the amount of drivers, truck drivers that get out of their vehicles, uh, limiting them from coming into offices, different things like that, just to try to limit that exposure to our employees and therefore, you know, limit that spread, potential spread of the virus. So we've started with that, and then we also tried to provide for our members some of those uh, templates for policies that they could put in place, whether it was, um, you know, how to do that in your offices for limiting visitors, signs that you could put up, other ways of communicating. Um, we've got some draft documents up on our members-only website for what do you do if one of your employees becomes positive with the coronavirus? How do you communicate that to your other employees? How do you communicate with that employee and have them stay at home, uh, make sure they get the care that they need, uh, just different things like that. So we've tried to provide some guidance and some draft templates for our members um, so they can use those in this time and not have to create things on their own. 
what about any changes in perhaps how companies are able to to serve their customers and whether it comes to feed delivery or whether it comes to going out and consulting on the farm? Are there more things being done through, say, video or, or other means? Yeah, I think just like all of us that are getting used to working at home, right, they're using more technology. So, uh, you know, whether it's just the old-fashioned phone call or doing a little bit of FaceTime, and um, video conferencing to see if they can't help solve some of those technical aspects that they maybe were doing um, on a face-to-face visit. Uh, so I think everybody's using a little bit more technology um, than we maybe uh, were in the in the past, and um, you know maybe that's a good thing. And we'll see where it continues in the future. Are you hearing any concerns related to say incoming ingredients or materials? Supply chain has been the other big one that we've been monitoring um, going back to January when we knew um, some of our facilities in China were closing and therefore the ports have been closing. So we've been monitoring that item um, and now really focused to make sure that our transportation channels um, continue to remain open. Um, as you know, the Port of Houston closed temporarily um, some of their container uh, ports a couple days ago and, and that kind of, you know, made everybody wake up and go, oh, wait, this will be a real problem if this happens. And so uh, making sure that our transportation sectors stay open, um, that we've got the ability to transport our feed or feed ingredients um, throughout the chain. And then from a, the other part of the supply chain is making sure that our farmers have what they need. So I our feed mills and have been thinking about it a little bit like preparing for a big weather event, whether it's a big snowstorm or a hurricane, making sure that their customers are stocked up um, with what they need, that their warehouses are full so that they can easily distribute things um, when needed. There was some initial concern, I believe it was last week, perhaps about whether, say, farm stores would be considered as essential businesses. And I know AFIA and a number of state feed groups send an urgent request related to that. Where is uh, where's everything at on that issue at this point? So part of the Department of Homeland Critical Infrastructure was stating about the retail side of that. And then yes, AFIA and 23 of our state feed and grain associations or agribusness associations sent a letter to all of the state governors. And then we copied to the uh, commissioners of agriculture as well to make sure they realized that it, it wasn't just um, the manufacturing side that was needed, but it was also that retail side um, because we know how important and the various channels that we have for supplying our feed and our um, pet food products as well. So the majority of those states, they've all made that clear um, in there. Uh, there's a lot of language in the states that have taken action um, specifically about pets and pet supplies. Um, and uh, keeping those farm um, stores open as they realize that that's an important mechanism for our farmers to be able to not only get their feed, uh, but other supplies that they need. What, if anything, should animal food companies be bracing themselves over the coming weeks? Is there anything they need to be aware of? Well, I think the biggest thing is things are changing almost hourly, right? So being able to adapt to whatever the new policy may be and and just realizing that we're all in this together and everybody's trying to do what's right for um, 
for public health, right? And also to make sure that our consumers continue to have the food that they need. Um, so I think it's, that's probably it. Just stay nimble. Keep, uh, keep up on top of things in your state and local region as much as you can. And then I think be willing to assist. That might be um, one of the next things we have is the Food and Drug Administration says we don't need to shut down facilities or recall any product if we have, um, you know, positive cases of employees in our mills. But, you know, we could have a hot pocket somewhere. And so if, if all of those employees get sick and nobody can operate, you know, can we step up in other ways um, by other mills stepping up and to, and to help fill that need so that we don't have any um, emergencies in any region or specific species out there. And I know you mentioned um, a couple things that AFI is doing for its membership in order to keep them informed of new developments. Can you give us a quick review on those? Yeah, so we're um, communicating out with our members. We've got a members-only website um, where we're posting information. We've got these resources. Uh, we've tried to put as many links as we possibly can. Um, one of the things AFI members uh, are very good at is is talking to staff, and so we're being very prompt and getting back to them um, on the questions that they have. And then um, we're also talking to our folks out in um, the agriculture industry, so making sure we're talking to the different species groups, um, all of our commodity groups, and making sure that um, they have what they need from us as well. And, and we're sharing information across um, the supply chain to make sure we know if they've got any needs and where we can help as well. Any final thoughts, Leah? It's a challenging time, but I think um, our industry, the animal food industry, is, you know, we're, we're here, we're ready to help, we're going to make sure that our livestock and poultry and companion animals have the food that they need, um, so you and I can continue to uh, have the food that we need to, Sarah, um, for our families. After all, we all have to eat. We'll continue to cover the effects of COVID-19 in future episodes of the podcast, and you can get day-to-day -day updates from Sarah and the Feedstuff's editorial team by subscribing to the Feedstuff's daily e-newsletter. Thanks to Feedstuff's publisher, Sarah Muirhead, and AFIA Vice President Leah Wilkinson for a timely update of issues specific to the animal food industry. I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuff's In Focus. If you want to hear more conversations about what's happening in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, including Apple and Google Podcasts, or you can always visit our website, feedstuffs.com, for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.